there was this aspect that I also noticed in the subjects that were in the film that, you know, each of them didn't really see themselves as like old, you know, or elderly people. They didn't see themselves as 72 year olds. They still saw themselves as, you know, folks that were in their twenties. And I thought that, that, that was a fascinating, um, element that allowed me to make the movie that I made, which was, you know, in my mind is a movie about, not about old people, it's a movie about people. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Tourist Information. My guest this week is a very young filmmaker, he's just 25 years old, who released not long ago an absolutely fantastic film called Some Kind of Heaven, which was produced by Darren Aronofsky. The film got a lot of attention, rightfully so, and I reached out to Lance to see if we could bring him on. We've had a lot of filmmakers that have done decades of work. It's really fun to talk to one who is at the beginning of a career that I think is going to leave an incredible impression. And this film, for those who don't know, is about a retirement community in Florida, which is where Lance is from, and um, reminded me a lot of Errol Morris's Gates of Heaven, Pet Cemetery being moved around, which is just the starting point, to such incredible existential exploration. And this film has a lot of that. It's just beautifully shot. Um, the insights and how revealing these people are under Lance's microscope. And, and I think there's also a telescope at us these people are all confronting a stage that is inevitable in the human condition and uh, the way Lance approaches it is just, I mean, it's tired cliche to say it's precocious, but it, uh, you could just tell this kind of talent is not inconspicuous anywhere and it's amazing to see in the documentary realm. So I hope you enjoy this week's guest. Lance Oppenheim on tourist information. Lance, to avoid legal snags, I'm required to tell you that you're currently being recorded. Thank you. I, I, uh, I'm, 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 I'm honored. Honored to be recorded. Lance, you're the youngest person that I've had on this podcast. And I mean, to be 13 years old when you direct this kind of breakthrough documentary, it'll be my last dad joke about your age. But still, you were 24 when it started, right? I was, um, I, th I think I started working on it. I, I, I started working on the movie at, when I was 22. And I was, um, I was my junior summer going into my senior year in college. And then I finished the film when I was 24. And then it, we're 23 maybe. And then it's been a whole damn year two almost a year and a half since uh, uh finishing it and it coming out so some kind of heaven can you describe for people that are not familiar with it what your film is about yeah so this is a uh it's a documentary uh that explores life inside the villages uh the world's strangest largest retirement community and it's a movie that's kind of more concerned with a you know an existential condition probably than 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 something that's much more informative or educational. You know, it's a film that looks at the lives of four people who are kind of living on the margins of the fantasy that the community promises to to people. 
what I mean, uh, one of the things that blew me away about this when I read the review about it first and then watched it is I was trying to understand how a 22-year-old has the ability to coax out such unguarded moments with these kind of characters who, I mean, I think <laughs> euphemistically I would, I would characterize as uh, eccentric. Um, but where were you, how were you drawn to this? It just seems like such an unusual turn for somebody your age I mean, I think um, I, I, I think I think part of making the movie and also just having spent time there, you know, I, I moved into the community well before we started filming just because I didn't know anybody. I'm from Florida. I, I grew up hearing about the place, but it took time uh, to, to, to figure out what I was doing and how I was going to do it. Um, but I, I think a big part of what I had noticed in the, about the month or so that I spent without a camera there was that. This, you know, the reason why this community was so successful, so popular, was that it was designed to sort of take people back to their youth. That was the selling point. It was kind of this Truman Show-like world that 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 um, uh, you know, was that was you know designed to emulate the look and feel of the 1950s. These kinds of pop Americana images. Um, so in a way, you know, I being much younger than most people. You know, also kind of undergoing my own Peter Pan syndrome. I didn't want to graduate college. I was about to graduate. Um, but I was, in a way, the very age that a lot of folks who lived in the villages were kind of trying to return to. Um, so I think there was this mutual, you know, that, that, that aspect of things that it inspired this mutual curiosity that I think, you know, obviously I was there to make a film and I didn't know what it was. I, was, I had to be curious. I had to be open to figure out what, what that movie was going to be. Um, but in people who, you know, who live there and don't really necessarily get the opportunity to talk the, to, to folks and people around my age, there was a there was a mutual curiosity that I think um, my presence inspired in both, you know, in, 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 in each other. And um, I think as time went on and as I met the subjects who would later appear in the film, um, I, I feel like I, you know, there was this aspect that I also noticed in the subjects that were in the film that, you know, each of them didn't really see themselves as like old, you know, or elderly people. They didn't see themselves as 72 year olds. They still saw themselves as, you know, folks that were in their twenties. And I thought that that, that was a fascinating um, element that allowed me to make the movie that I made, which was, you know, in my mind is a movie about, not about old people, it's a movie about people. And that was uh, important to me as we were kind of going through the whole process. Yeah, I mean, the first time I read that this was called, as a selling point, Disneyland for retirees. And and you referenced Truman Show. I mean, Gates of Heaven seemed the first touchstone for me, those two films. And yet, I wonder... I wonder how you're able to elevate the material the way you did. Well, not elevate, maybe just penetrate into a kind of depth, like the pathos of each of the characters. But the overall ethos is something that I found deeply troubling, but also incredibly amusing at the same time. And I was just wondering, like, as you're recording these people, talking to these people, exploring something that sold that clearly is is drawing them in to this kind of utopian idea of getting old in a safe community and there's the comforts and the routines but where were you at emotionally as you're kind of being drawn into these stories 
I mean, not, like at times I was terrified um, because it was like really, I mean, there were many moments that were extremely uncomfortable to be, you know, present for and, 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 and to also be uh, capturing, you know, and, and, and I think um, I'm very grateful to my, to the, you know, to Barbara and Dennis and Ann and Reggie, the, the subjects in the movie, because I, I, I mean, I don't know in my, in my own life, I definitely would not be as brave and <laughs> inviting of having a camera crew kind of follow me around and showing me at my worst moments and living, you know, so it, it was, it was a delicate dance. And, and, and I think a big part of the, 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 you know, the mutual sort of curiosity and the trust that we, that we formed together was, was this idea that, um, you know, not even an idea. I mean, it was just the experience that I had with them before we started shooting. I mean, I got to know each of them pretty well before, uh, any, you know, before we had cameras rolling and then, because of the sort of small size of my crew, it was my me, my sister who produced the film, and uh, my you know David Bolin who shot the film, uh, a sound my sound guy, and a college friend of mine. And it was you know it was, it was a crew of basically four to five people, and each of us had a really our, our own unique relationship with with um, with our subjects. So it was interesting. I mean, at times again, very terrifying. Uh, both for reasons of just like literally seeing things that were distressing. And, you know, there were moments where, for example, when Dennis is making phone calls and he's calling people up and basically threatening to, you know, suicide unless they give him some money. Like <laughs> it was hard to know in the moment if that was just another sort of tactic of his or if he actually was contemplating um, ending his life. Um, and, you know, there are as many moments as we captured that are were really distressing on camera. There was also a lot of moments that we were capturing uh, that we didn't, sorry, that we didn't capture that were uh, very difficult to sort of navigate, you know, ethically, how do you work with um, people and how do you uh, manage to, you know, how, how do you ma manage to make a film that isn't just preying or parasitic on your subjects? How do you make something that they see themselves in the film and they are they do feel represented by it and they do enjoy it when they watch it? Um, those are a lot of the things that I think, you know, I was constantly thinking about when we were shooting it and definitely when we were editing it. Yeah, it made me think like there's a, a kind of arrested juvenile quality to some of the characters. They remind me of an interview I read with Matt Stone and Trey Parker where they said South Park has no teenagers. It's children and it's their parents. But I thought they're missing something because there is a teenager in the show, which is all of the storylines <laughs> supplied by America. And America is perpetually a teenager. That's a really funny uh, and, and, and great way of thinking about it. Yeah, I totally see that. So I wonder, like... This does seem like kind of a teenage par paradise, except retirees. They're all tricked. What, what did you, in that way, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong or maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I saw something quintessentially American about this community mm. and, and this environment. Like, you know, as a little kid, if you don't like Disney movies, there's something wrong with you because apparently you're obliged by being a child to like Disney movies. So similarly, Disneyland for retirees, we can just never escape that Disney needs to be a part of every stage of our life. And the Disney fied, uh, yeah, blank. No, I know you're totally right. I mean, and, and the quest to like Disney fied, Disney fied death, Disney fied, Disney fied. 
I can't even say the word. It's it's really it's it's it it rolls out of the, it rolls out of my mouth like it's in the dictionary, which is so strange. But that is, I mean, one of the more fascinating aspects of this community was that, and and you sort you sort of see it in different moments where you have like there's a death prearrangement seminar, and there, you know, um, you can get like a, for a limited time offering, you know, twenty percent off on your funeral casket if you if you pre-order it now. Um, you know, but, but this whole kind of like late stage capitalistic commodification thing going on of 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 death and the last few, uh, you know, the last hurrah before you lose your health and lose your mobility, I think is uh, super interesting. And, that, and and I definitely I think you're absolutely right. I mean, um, I think not only do not only does it extend to sort of the, the attempts that the developers have at theming the place and making it look like one giant um, you know, utopian sort of theme park like experience of everyday life. Um, I think socially th there are elements of, of th that Peter Pan syndrome finding its way in other parts of life there. I mean, every club that is offered and, and the ways in which people deal with each other, um, you know, the, 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 the restaurants, the bars, the places to have fun. I mean, it's a big return to your youth or big return to your past. And I think, um, that's what attracts people to live there. I think that's what, it, you know, the uniquely American thing about the villages, um, I think, is that, is that desire, maybe it's not the desire to become young again, because I think everyone feels that at some point in their lives, but um, to actually act on it and to seed from modern day society, to kind of return to a, a world that feels more in keeping with the values and images from your youth. Um, you know, in, in the villages case, it's like they're recreating images out of like a Ronald Reagan, you know, that Ronald Reagan morning in America commercial, like <laughs> kind of an America that never really existed. Um, so it, it's interesting to think of all these things, you know, there are different variations of, of inversions of, of um, you know, when you look at China, they, there's certainly a lot of the kind of the wave of duplicate architecture they have where they recreate and you know, um, duplicate you know, the architecture from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and they have a Jackson Hole, China, and they have, you know, London, they have Paris, they have these sort of recreated Disney-fied things that are going on there. Um, but it's not, you know, it, it, the culture that happens there is, is totally different than any American values we have here. Um, and maybe one of the biggest ones that I think is common in the villages is this idea of like freedom and um, what does freedom mean when you're at that age? You know, freedom from uh, responsibility, freedom from, you know, having to be bogged down by any, you know, needs that your family has, like all that stuff evaporates and all that really matters in a place like that is, you know, being yourself and finding out who you can be again. And those are the things that I, I find to be very interesting and, you know, probably uniquely American. Yeah, it, it, it made me think when, when I first went to Cuba and like there, I just didn't see any old folks homes because you wanted to have grandpa and grandma at home. You know, yeah, like there, yeah. there are all of these things there that I was just kind of like, when you get warned about the how impoverished it is, I was like, yeah, but no children are afraid to talk to strangers. Uh, you know, everybody knows who their neighbors are and their whole block and everything. And there was something about this of our yearning to go back to this time, whether it's real or imagined, where everything is okay. Like, yeah, death is kind of around the corner, but we can ignore it because we have all these wonderful activities that are perfectly curated. And... <laughs> 
I was so fascinated by the characters that you chose to guide us on this journey. I mean, the Dennis, Dennis that you mentioned, 82 year old bachelor living in a van <laughs> and is seeking um, a wealthy widow to support him. Um, how the hell did you pick these people and what other people are on the cutting room floor or, or maybe didn't sign off on agreeing to allow you to follow them? Because these were such incredible characters. I loved all of them. Well, thank you. I mean, I, 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 I do as well. I mean, that was a big, honestly, a premium in, in, in my mind was I wanted, like, if I was going to go on the journey of making a film about, you know, a handful of people, I had to sort of, I had to love them. I had to find people that I, I, you know, could follow around without a camera for days and years of my life. And I mean, in finishing the film too, the, you know, those relationships, they didn't just stop after the film ended. It, it's like, I still talk to, you know, each of them uh, at least once a week these days, you know, we're, we're, we became like family in the process of making the movie. But um, I mean, I, I think I, when I first went there, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I didn't have a preconceived idea of what the film, I, you know, of, of what the film was going to be, or, or, or that I was looking for, you know, you know, a, a certain profile of, of subject. I think um, what I thought I was going to make initially was more of maybe a portrait of an institution, and, and you know, the way that like a, a utopian city works, and the ways in which. Um, you know the, the the amount of labor and 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 um, and, and kind of attempts to you know the team it takes to manicure a, a kind of a palm fringe utopia. That was my first idea of going there and doing a survey of their newspaper, which only prints the good news, and the radio station that only plays the oldies, and their news station, which only you know um, you know basically broadcasts images of people golfing and this kind of like benign propaganda they that they that they continue to to just you know constantly constantly put out um that was my initial interest and when i got there i mean both as a result of the lack of access i could get because the developers are extremely um specific and and and, and choosy on who they let into their into their world um in my case they wanted nothing to do with you know, any outside filmmaker and, you know, even many of my requests just went like unheard. So I, um, I just decided, you know, the, 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 like the, the way I could make a film was, you know, making the, rather than making the world of the villages, the, the a character, which I think it is, um, I wanted to treat it more as a setting. And I, and, and, and once I kind of made that choice, I had to figure out, you know, who, what subjects, had stories worth telling who were people who actually had things going on in their lives still that were uh cinematic and engaging to follow and allowed for me to make this you know an ensemble uh you know narrative-esque kind of documentary um so i, I and that process took a long time to figure out i mean i followed a lot of people there was like at times, I think at you know most, there's probably twenty people I had followed at you know at, that that I was constantly figuring out like, is this interesting? Is this not interesting? And in a place like the villages, there's 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 a million people who have. I mean, specifically, there, there's one hundred and forty thousand people who have fascinating stories. Um, but uh, the, I'm I'm actually putting out a short film next week, next Tuesday, with the New York Times that has. 
uh, the stories of some people who I was thought was going to be in the film, and you know we ended up not putting them in. It just didn't work. But um, the, the story of 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 the short and what I had thought the story of the, what the film was going to be for a while was um, kind of an insiders versus outsiders portrait. You know, I found a girl. She was 13 when I met her. She lived in this sort of ramshackle house that kind of a country estate on a ton of land that was falling apart. It had been in her family for several generations. Her dad passed away in the house. Her sister passed away in the house. She lives there now with her mom. And the villages is trying to buy the land to turn it into more, you know, cookie cutter uh, homes to keep expanding. Um, and they've said no, no, and no. And then, you know, as you know, time has passed, and as their neighbors have decided to give in, um, it, there's she basically lives in an island of of swampland, and she's surrounded like by you know every like all around her is 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 specifically that you know are these homes that have popped up. Um, so I thought I thought for a while there was going to be something there where I was going to follow her and you know her stance to kind of turn them down and the journey that you know what it means to grow up in a place you know to grow up in a place where everyone around you is 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 older. Um, I thought there was something interesting there, and uh, as they expanded, you know, and continued to expand the development, um, sinkholes have started to form and literal like you know holes in the ground like cracks have literally swallowed people's homes um and i there was this connection that i had seen between her story and that story that i thought was um you know enough to to try and make this film happen so when i was initially taking it out that was kind of like that was the story i was pitching not this uh not what the film ultimately became which is in my mind a much more kind of an in, internal journey of uh people trying to you know find happiness and meaning and um, you know, decide you know, kind of a film more about a condition of, of, of not being able to fit into the, 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 the you know, the, the brochure, the marketing brochure that the place offers. Um, but it, it took a while and I realized like I, with a lot of resistance eventually that the film was not, you know, the film I wanted that needed to exist was not the one uh, that I was forcing to try and make happen and that they seemed like there was, you know, more than one film I had in my hands that I could have made out of the edit. Um, and even now, even now that I have like the feature and the short, I know that there's probably another short out of the material I also have, but, um, I, you know, I got to move on with my life and, uh, I think two is, two is enough in my mind. Mm. There was a funny conversation in my head. I wonder if it occurred to you also where I was thinking about this young kid making this film who has the ability to draw, draw out these characters and sort of intuit the majesty of a place like this where you're also a member of a generation that now has the highest incidence of anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. And mm -hmm. then we're seeing this geriatric generation, Ghost of Christmas Future, kind of struggling with a lot of the same stuff. Like even mm -hmm. in this Disneyland area, they just can't escape their internal just normal human flaws of what we yearn for to have meaning and happiness and i don't know i always wonder about this i mean you mentioned earlier sort of late stage capitalism that this is some kind of byproduct of it but i do find it fascinating that i think zizek has this observation that every advertisement whatever they're selling you is also selling you on having desire you mm -hmm. need to continually just have desire the moment you're satisfied whenever i get a telemarketer who calls me up and says I understand you you run a private boxing lesson you teach private boxing. I say, yeah. Do you want more clients? And I say no. 
there's no further conversation. Yeah. Because they don't know where to go. There's no script to continue it. No, I am content. I don't really need more boxing clients. <laughs> it's pre-COVID. But it never even occurred to me that it's just everybody is supposed to want more and more and more. And when you get to this stage and like, okay, Dennis is searching for his meal ticket to get out of the van and have some security. And at 82, he still hasn't found it. But even those that have found it, there is this underlying melancholy. Like I, we talked earlier before we were recording and you mentioned Edward Scissorhands, a wonderful film. And I know you're drawing a lot aesthetically, but I also feel like emotionally there is some overlap there with the characters and this setting that by creating a utopia, it kind of betrays who these people are without the backdrop. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, I need all of this to provide this false order to my life and meaning. And it suggests that these people are just sort of adrift in a way that I think we all feel like this, the human condition. But I just wondered how conscious you were of kind of calibrating the mood of this story because handled one way it becomes very dark i mean like like you mentioned truman show um that's only good news it's only sunny weather everybody is friendly it is this massive conspiracy um you know a, a literally a baby purchased by a corporation is the premise of that story uh the first baby ever adopted by a corporation but within what 10 years a dysotopian premise has inverted into a dysotopia for young people if they aren't famous and aren't filmed all the time and aren't Kim Kardashian. And I wondered if something like that could happen with this on some mm. level. I mean, you never know. I mean, it's, it's interesting to think of what, what will happen, you know, when my, if, if we even, if my generation is around and we live long enough to retire, you know, will places like the villages even exist? Will, will the villages, you know, once that, once the baby boomers are no longer with us, do we turn to recreate or not we, do they turn to recreate different generations, you know, di di different moments and periods of time? Do they, do they, do they go to the eighties? Do they go to the, the nineties? Do they go to the early two thousands? I have to imagine, I don't, I just, I, I, you never know. I mean, I was going to say, like, I feel like my generation is, it has no interest in artificial constructions of like, you know, weird simulated realities, but obviously that is, can, cannot be further from the truth. I mean, I feel like if anything, we're spending so much of our time online and creating our own sort of digital utopian play, playlands, you know, even when you look at like Fortnite and you think about the ideas of like, um, you know, uh, um, Oh my God! What what uh, what's it called again? The uh, oh, come back to me. When 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 you think of the 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 uh, the, the the idea of 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 this, the, uh, fuck, I forget. I, there there was a there was a great essay I had read which was positing this idea that in the fu the near future we're going to be uh, you know ev everything will be. Our, our entire lives will will will, will be living in, in in you know online and 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 that you know Fortnite is really one of the first places where you're looking at you know an online marketplace and um, you know obviously everyone has an avatar but then there's all these experiences that we're now also having on there like music concerts and watching films on you know through this virtual space. Um, 
anyway, I, 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 it's interesting to think about, it, and I have no idea what what the future will hold, or even if the Earth and we will be on it, and whether or not we will be happy and healthy enough to have some kind of illusion that we'll be able to retire the way that you know the baby boomers have, um, and you know the, the images that you see in this film. I, I, I think there is a timeless quality to them because I think there's a timeless aspect. The things that a lot of the folks in this movie are yearning for are things that we I think you're right, we all yearn for no matter what age we are or where we live and you know how we look and how you know how we talk. I think all these things are things that are are are, are universal to being alive and 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 struggling and in, in being alive. Um, but I think um, you know everything else, who knows? I, I, it's 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 hard to know. Um, and once, you know, I'm of the age that the subjects of this film are, I'm curious, like, you know, what I will be doing and also how I will view the film. I have no idea. I just wonder, like, I mentioned Gates of Heaven earlier, and, and I know that we both like Errol Morris a lot. I, I'm always struck by, with his work, I'm wondering what he's thinking. Like, as he's interviewing the people, like... He, he said once that if you let somebody talk uninterrupted for, for I think, six or seven minutes, they're going to completely convince you they're insane. No matter who they are, we just start to reveal ourselves. And with something like Gates of Heaven, I was wondering, like, is this an optimistic film about human nature? Is this incredibly, is this just him completely mocking um, the desperation of these people? But... The idea that we're talking about dead pets, I mean, I feel far more emotion often if in a film or a TV show there's like a dog dying that needs to be put down than a person who needs to, you know, I've never understood why, I've never heard anybody object to putting down an animal, but the moment you introduce a human being to the exact same situation, it like divides half half the country, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's morally acceptable. Um so I guess I was kind of wondering as you're going through this, like now that it's behind you and you're seeing the response to it, did this feed into your pessimism? <laughs> about <laughs> the that these people had, or you feel more optimistic or somewhere else? Like where did you go emotionally as a result of finishing such an incredible film? I mean, honestly, I have no idea. I, I, I will say that, like, putting out the film and, and 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 seeing that there's been any semblance of a response to it has been nice because I, I my expectations were honestly so low. I mean, it's it was it's a it's an impossible time to put anything out into the world and are you know I think we're starting now as, as you know as an industry. I think we're like you're seeing more and more examples of how films can make little dents, but. You know, uh, th this movie isn't tenant. This movie is a small independent art house documentary that is not being released on, you know, a major streaming platform. So I think in terms of reach, like, you know, I'm surprised it's had any reach whatsoever. And I I'm very happy that it made a little tiny, uh, you know, somewhat scratch the surface and some people have heard about it. But, um, you know, and I'm, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, but it, it, it's strange. I mean, I, I feel, you know, what, what empowers me and what motivates me to continue to make work is I honestly, you know, I don't know what it is. I think it's probably just the act of doing it that kind of inspires me to keep going. Like, I, I, I feel like I constantly need to be hustling and doing something that keeps me busy. Um, and I think, you know, the last two months of, of my life, basically, from, you know, when the film came out on the 15th of January till now, 
it's been, um, you know, a, I've never been more online. I've never been more glued to my computer and looking and trying to track how people are talking about the film or thinking about the film. And the one thing I have noticed, which is interesting, is I do think that like seeing this film alone on your screen in your house, um, depending, I think it splits on, 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 on your age, but I'd say like younger people find the film, um, uh, you know, maybe are able to see the hope in it a lot more than I think older audiences are. And I also will say too, that like, you know, any, I'm, I'm curious if the film had been playing in theaters, I had the experience of seeing how audiences reacted to it just from, you know, going to different festivals with it. And, um, there was a lot of comedy that is in the movie and is designed to be funny and not, not the kind of humor that you're laughing at the subjects, but you're laughing at these sort of, uh, with them and, and and with these sort of impossible and strange situations they suddenly find themselves in. And I'm curious if that translates when you're watching it at home, because I've, I've certainly seen several people who are upset after watching it, you know, calling it the most depressing movie ever made and whatever. And I've seen some people who call it a comedy and, you know, I, I don't see it as either. I mean, I think I like the idea of the film somewhat being, you know, straight down the middle. It's, it's, you know, there are times where the laughs are extremely uncomfortable and make you feel fucking weird inside. And then there are other times where, you know, it, it should hit you like a ton of bricks and it should make you feel um, upset. And, it, it, and, and, and I think, you know, that, that was the journey that I was hoping would sort of, I'd be able to take people on this kind of emotional roller coaster ride. Um, and I think my feelings about the film, I mean, I haven't seen it since, you know, I feel like I, I, I went to a drive-in that was playing the film, but even then I, it was kind of hard for me to focus on it because I just have a lot of remove from it. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, every time I, I when, when, like when I catch little pieces of it and when I have seen it before, um, I, I, I can't help but feel like, you know, I, I don't look at it as a film. I kind of like somehow I'm able to just track back into the moment when I shot the thing. And, uh, and I remember what was happening, the, the context of the situation and, um, you know, my reaction at certain moments, like those things, I still feel they're, they, even though the film felt feels so far away, um, it's been almost a year, year and a half, two years since shooting it. Like I, I feel very connected to it in a fundamental way still. So it's hard for me to know. I mean, I, I see it as a, you know, a movie that is hopefully optimistic about what it means to grow older and the fact that you can, you know, that you grow older and not wiser and that, you know, your, your problems in life are never figured out and the search for like, you know, being a better person and learning more about yourself is just like, you know, constantly, you kind of have to embrace the quest of, you know, becoming and, and, and being, um, you know, never stopping to question who you are and those questions never fade. I think that's what's inspiring to me um, about, about seeing, you know, the stories in this movie and the way people in the movie act the way, how they act the way they do and how they react to things. I would like to know, uh, you know, apart from the artistic achievement, there's just the marketing side of getting something like this done, getting it out, the Sundance Film Festival where it showed. Um, I'd like to know that for people who are trying to do something like this, I mean, how many people are in film school right now in the United States? I mean, for you to get this out there, can you walk me through that process of just that side of your brain about what it had to manage to like 
organize this, to, to conceive of it, to execute it, to then market it. I mean, setting aside, let's table the COVID like <laughs> force of that, but just um, how, how you've managed to straddle the artistic creative side with, with just the practical necessity of ex getting this out into the world. I mean, you know, I, 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 I feel very fortunate and grateful because I, I do think, um, you know, Magnolia Pictures, who put the movie out, I, I, I think they did as good of a possible job as, you know, as, as given the circumstances as, as they as as, uh, you know, ex excluding the COVID from the conversation, which is sort of like everything right now. Um, you know, the, Magnolia and the people there—they just—they got the movie. You know, from from the from the moment they had seen like a little—I I had done a Sundance Lab called Sundance Ignite, and then from there I was able to go to a different program called the Sundance Producing Summit, um, which was sort of a—I uh, I was there. We were sort of in the heat of editing the film. We were at a critical juncture where we were, were making decisions on what the film would actually be. Um, at that moment in time, I also was still just kind of. Um, you know, I knew this event was coming up where I was going to be able to meet with buyers and distributors who were there to give advice. Um, and I wanted to take advantage of that situation. I wanted, you know, I'd have little speed dating uh, meetings that were set up by the by the fellowship where I would have a 15 minute conversation with Magnolia. I'd have a 15 minute conversation with like a Netflix. I'd have a 15 minute conversation with Hulu. And um, I had I put together something. I was lying through my teeth of what I thought the film was and how the film was going to play and what the whole fucking narrative was and all that stuff. And, and I just remember like, even from the earliest conversations when I met Dory Bagley from Magnolia and I met other people there, like they just, they got the movie. They understood exactly tonally what I was trying to do with it. I think they understood that the ambition to treat, you know, to, to not look at this as just a documentary, but to expand try and help expand what what documentaries could look like you know the way they marketed the film i feel like they treated it more as like a, a you know as, as as a comedy or you know kind of leaning into sort of the otherworldly uh some of the visual you know graphic qualities of how we shot the film like th these were things that they understood and how to do and and um i mean i, I was extremely involved with every part of Every material that was made, every trailer, every poster, every single aspect of everything, I was constantly in the room, you know, virtual room, uh, making those decisions with them. And that, that's another thing. I mean, I don't know how many distributors would, would um, allow for that level of collaboration and engagement, but, um, you know, everything else is, is a crapshoot. I mean, like, I, I, the movie has done well, and, you know, like, it, it's not going to make anyone rich, but it's done well enough that hopefully I can make another film. But, um, you know, I, I, I um, obviously, I, like, the things I focus on are the things that we, you know, that we didn't do and the things that I wish we had done better. I mean, for one, I think, you know, internationally, it's just a bummer that, that you know, some people in Europe will not be able to see this film unless they torrent it or something. Not that I'm encouraging that to happen, but honestly, like, who knows, you know, I don't know if we will have like a, a release in Germany. You know, I don't know if I'll have, we'll have a release in, in Ukraine, you know, like these places. I don't even know if they're being, they're aware of the film, but um, you know, th there are things that I wish we had done better, but for just from a brass tacks of like, how do you get your film out? I mean, I also think we're in a time 
COVID has changed the game of distribution and, and, and the way, you know, movies are, are, are being released. If you're not on a platform that you have a subscription with, and if you're asking people to spend $6 of their, of, 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 you know, of, of their hard earned savings or something to watch your film, um, I think gone are the days in some, to some degree of like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I've seen plenty of films. There's one great film, for example, feels good, man, a, a film about Pepe, the frog. Um, this is a film that no one picked up at Sundance and it still just boggles. It's like mind boggling that that happened. It won an award at Sundance. It was in for my money's worth. Like one of, I think it was the best experience I had in, in the theater while seeing a film at Sundance. Um, and no one picked it up, and it was crazy to me. And, and yet, that film has found its audience. They self-distributed it. They made more money than most probable, you know, m m most independent documentaries have that have been released outside of the Netflix streamer, you know, framework. And I think there is something really special about that release. I mean, the way they did it is they figured out here are the, you know, these publicists work with these distributors. This poster company works with these distributors. Let's just, you know, find a company that will like lend us the money. We'll pay them back once we release the film. But we're gonna go to all the same people that these, you know, distribution companies work with, and we're gonna pay them what they get paid normally, and we will make great materials. And I think if you're looking at like the way they did that, they de it definitely paid off. So if you know if if a distributor doesn't pick up, want to pick up your film at a Sundance or at a South by Southwest or at a Tribeca. I think there are whole lots of ways, you know, I can't speak from experience, but there are seemingly this, there's this new world that I feel like is opening up where you no longer maybe um, need, uh, you know, the more, you know, kind of traditional ways of distributing a film to, to get it out into the world and get people to see it. What, uh, last question is, is what's next for you after this? Like, how has this set you up um, in terms of, what you're aspiring to, you've been through the process now of, of creating this and, and getting it out there. Um, what excites you now creatively about where, where to proceed? I mean, I kind of, you know, I, I want to keep going in the, 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 the you know, I want to do a lot of things, I think is the short answer. I mean, I, I have, um, I spent most of the last year just, you know, percolating and ideas kept com coming to my mind and, now it's just a matter of executing and kind of converting those ideas into real things. I mean, I, I, I spent the, the pandemic, I started shooting a new documentary and I, I definitely have the ambition of just keep keeping on kind of honing my craft there and continuing to make films that, you know, stylistically are, are adventurous and, 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 and are bold and, and subject wise are, are strange and, um, you know, continue to kind of thread that needle of, of movies that can make you laugh and make you hurt. You know, those are the movies that I love the most. Um, but there's a bunch of other stuff. I'm working on like a documentary series. I have a, a, a fiction film that I'm uh, that I'm trying to get made right now. And we'll see what happens. Who knows? Hopefully um, one of those things will happen sooner than later. But a documentary for now, you think? Documentary for now, but you never know. Hopefully, uh, ho hopefully, you know, in 2021, 2022, whatever year we're in, whatever next year is and the year after, hopefully I'll have a series of things I can just kind of put out one after the other if I, if I can uh, get it going for this year. Thanks so much for your time today, Lance. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Tourist Information. The producers for this show are George Alarcón Suebi and myself, Bryn Jonathan Butler. Thanks for listening.